the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome to the Truth Perspective. It's May May sixteenth, two thousand fifteen. I'm your host, Harrison Cayley, with Elon my, Martin, my co-host for today, <laughs> and we are joined by Shane Lachance. Hello, everybody, and William Barbe. Good afternoon. Today, we're going to be discussing a few things that have happened over the past week, like we usually do when we all gather around the table at the Sought headquarters mic room where we talk about stuff like this. So in the last week or so, uh, there hasn't been any kind of like, you know, big, huge breaking news where crazy stuff has happened, but there's been some interesting things happening. First of all, the visit by John Kerry to Sochi in Russia to meet with Sergei Lavrov and a kind of last-minute meeting with President Putin. Um, let me just check. Are we coming through all right to everyone? Because we've had some some reports of funny sound. Does everything sound good? Just let us know in the chat room. Okay, so we're good. So Kerry made this visit to to talk with Lavrov and Putin, and took along a, a bunch of people with him. I read some reports that uh, they even brought along Matt Lee. He's the, he's the guy that always asks the, the real questions to Saki and Harf. Um, I didn't see anything else in the news, really. I saw a picture of him um, taking a selfie with some guy in Sochi, and so it looks like he was having a good time, but I don't know who he talked to or what he actually managed to do. But that in itself was kind of interesting that, that they brought him along. But this was Kerry's, well, Kerry's first visit to Russia in a long time. It was actually the first official visit by any U.S. official since the whole Ukraine crisis started in November 2013. So it's been a year and a half, basically, since the U.S. has made any kind of official overture trip to Russia. So something's going on, and there's been a lot of opinions and analyses online from Writers all over the world, Russians, Americans, uh, kind of chiming in on what they think this means. Because at the meeting, both Lavrov and Kerry were kind of afterwards saying that it was, uh, they were very happy with the results. No, like concrete results. It's not like they, they came to any definite conclusions on anything really. That's the way these things kind of go. But they stressed that they shared similar viewpoints on topics such as what is going on in Syria, the threat posed by the Islamic State, um, the nuclear Iran or nuclear deal with Iran. They talked about Yemen. They also talked about Ukraine. Now, just before this had happened, um, President Porky Porkachenko in uh 
in Ukraine had told <laughs> told the media that he was that the that Kiev the, the military was going to retake the Donetsk air. Now this is just a typically stupid thing for Poroshenko to say because uh, part of the deal of the Minsk agreements was to establish basically you know the front line and who gets what territory at least you know not necessarily. Um, accepting that this would be an official border, but basically accepting the 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 line of engagement as it had been um, on the date, you know, on a certain date when the the, the agreements were made. So he made this ridiculous comment. He, you know, before then he'd also said that they're going to retake Crimea, which is nonsense. But at the at the meeting in Sochi, uh, Kerry John Kerry publicly warned him against uh, inciting any new hostilities. He said, if indeed President Poroshenko is advocating a forceful engagement at this time, we would strongly urge him to think twice not to engage in this kind of activity. He also said, uh, he also pointed out, among other things, that, uh, that the crisis in relations between Russia and the United States was not Russia's fault. So that was another interesting thing that Kerry had to say. So uh, a, a kind of strange change in tone coming from United States officials. Mm-hmm. And then uh, immediately after, uh, Poroshenko said, and I quote, today there is no alternative to complete fulfillment of the Minsk agreements. And this is a clear position coordinated with the United States and with our Normandy format partners, Germany and France. So, um, of course, he's a puppet, and uh, obviously he's being told to say this. Um, and so I think all of this begs the question, uh, what is the U.S. up to? Yeah, because cause, uh, Kerry said something similar uh, about the Minsk agreements, saying that, you know, these things, this is the best chance for peace or whatever. Now that, again, this is another first. This is the first time that the U.S. has kind of publicly um, endorsed the Minsk agreements. Well, I think it's useful to keep in mind that um, the backdrop of, of all of this, I mean, you have uh, naval, uh, U.S. naval and NATO exercises in the Black Sea, um, you have uh, the continued arms of uh, or arming of the Ukrainian or Kiev military. Um, so, uh, you know, is this just a ploy? Is this just a perception management on the part of the U.S.? Um, you know, are they doing this with the uh, with the aim of later on? Um, blaming something else on Russia and saying, hey, we tried, you know, we sent Kerry along to speak to Lavrov and Putin and Sochi. Uh, you heard it, you know, we, we we made efforts. That's the that's the thing that is hard to figure out, like reading all these, um, you know, opinion pieces on it and what's really going on. There, there seems to be some things that most people are agreeing and well, first of all, this is just kind of a, a a big change. Like so, so something is going on. Whether it is just more perception management, or uh, you know something something else entirely. But uh, to me, at least at the very least, to me that this is somewhat uh, a move of desperation on the the part of the U.S. because it seems like 
um, like in any organization, there are some people that are smarter than others and some people that can see things better than others. And it seems to me that there are at least some people in like the Obama administration at the very least that can kind of see that uh, Russia's just a lot better at this than they thought and Putin's a lot smarter than they'd thought and that um, like the whole thing, the whole the whole situation in Donetsk and Lugansk, I don't think that the, the United States foresaw that. Mm-hmm. You know, they thought it would be a relatively simple uh, simple strategy and when the, the rebels kind of rose up and started this resistance movement, again, they you can look at that and say, oh, well, you know, well, the Ukrainian armed forces will just kind of like, you know, take care of that. But no, these, these guys actually got formed um, what proved to be a pretty formidable fighting force, and they're still there. And like the public officials in Donetsk and Lugansk have said several times, you know, they're not going anywhere, and they will basically never submit to Kiev. So right there, there, you know, Kiev is in a between a rock and a hard place in a certain sense, is that they can't get what they want, and even with all this military assistance from foreign countries, and even with all of the um, the foreign mercenaries and all that, and the like, watching the training videos, it seems like it's you know it's not it's not really going as well as as they'd like. So you've got these military advisors. Okay, well, so we're just going to go over there and train these guys, and then and then they'll start winning the war. But it doesn't look like it's working out that way either. So you know, what are their options? Are do they really think that they can um, that they can succeed in this? Are they going to? <clears throat> is the U.S. going to support um, Kiev and basically push them into a, a war that they can't? win to just you know which would destroy them i don't know um are they planning on um you know extending uh extending the the mode of this war like bringing in new fighters giving actual military assistance you know at at this point it looks to me like they're kind of saying okay so things haven't been working the way we we've wanted and so we're kind of going to take a different tack and um that doesn't exclude any future possibilities for more conflict but at this point it looks like at least someone in the obama administration is is realizing that they you know they can't really win the way they've been trying to win yeah that's kind of what you know i've been wondering about you know are they just changing tactics um you know are are they Kind of deciding, you know, to kind of uh, slow down the the armed conflict side of things and mm-hmm. um, maybe move in a different direction. You know, I can't see that they, you know, stop things altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Russia, you know, will still be, you know, I think, um, you know, public enemy number one, uh, followed closely by China, and you know, maybe maybe are looking more towards like a information war, you know, I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, the, the coming weeks will probably elaborate on, you know, uh, the direction that you know, things may be headed in. Yeah. I thought it was also interesting that the, the NATO chief of Europe decided to go visit Kiev at the same time that Kerry was visiting Putin. 
And then I saw another headline where Russia is considering increasing their army uh, or defense capabilities in, in Crimea. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that all went as well as they picture that as in the Kerry Putin meeting. Well, I, I think that, you know, um, statements by uh, Lavrov and, um, and others uh, notwithstanding, I mean, they're hoping uh, for nothing, you know, nothing more than uh, good relations, uh, respect between the U.S. and Russia. I mean, that's the ideal. Um, I do think that uh, they're probably, you know, they're paying attention to the U.S.'s actions and, and as much as its words. And so um, I think they're very smart about it. Um, obviously, they're, they're, they've been making attempts at diplomacy for many months uh, to no avail. Um, and it just seems like they're pre- They'll, they're probably still prepared to do anything uh, they need to do to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. The thing that really gets me, though, about this whole thing is just how smarmy a guy like Kerry is. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the guy that always takes credit for, you know, what someone else does. And, you know, he does it with that goofy smile on his face. And that's kind of just... Uh, uh, an encapsulation of what the U.S. is all about. So, you know, he goes in there with the high words about how the Minsk agreement is the only possible, you know, way for peace. Coming after months and months, of, well, first of all, uh, being responsible for this coup in the first place in Kiev, and then essentially supporting every action that the Kiev government has made in the past year, which includes what amounts to genocide and just indiscriminate killing, torturing raping of these Russian-speaking citizens in the East. And so for him to come in and say that, it's just, I know it's typical politics and, you know, diplomatic speak, but it's it just really gets to me. Well, it is kind of funny that they would send Kerry over there since, you know, it was kind of him that, uh, you know, from, I think that was like about two years ago when, you know, the, uh, the conflict in Syria when the U.S. was really pushing uh, for war and a reporter, you know, came out and asked, uh, well, you know, if Russia um, could could negotiate a deal, you know, would you, would you take it? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And so that was a major blunder on his part because Russia go ahead and smooth things out. So, you know, he, he kind of, uh, you know, looked a, a bit, you know, he had a bit of egg on his face mm-hmm. and, you know, for him to for it would to be him to be sent. You know, I'm kind of wondering if it was a punishment of sorts. <laughs> well, I just want to read two two little opinions from some Russian commentators. Um, this one comes from a guy named Leonid Bershidsky. He said, uh, "Kerry has come to Russia so the sides can agree to." can agree to disagree on Ukraine and move on to other issues such as Syria and Iran where constructive interaction is still possible. And this next one comes from Petra Eugenia. Kerry came to make the Russian president. We are ready to pretend that we are not strangling you and even lessen the grip a bit. But if you want to talk about Syria, Iran, the caliphate, Syria and other things important to us and about Ukraine, of course, uh, give us the, the guarantees that you would not annex it, and we will forget about Crimea and promise not to admit Ukraine to NATO. 
Now, there are other people online saying that this is basically, you know, an admit uh, an admission of failure on the U.S.'s part. I wouldn't go so far. Like I said earlier, there are always some people that have a bit more uh, common sense than others, but those types of individuals don't usually end up getting the, the final say when it comes to something as important as uh, warfare. And so a lot of these people online that are saying this is essentially, uh, you know, a good sign, a good thing, tend to forget situations like, um, you know, like what happened in the in Germany in the 30s where there are all kinds of people saying, oh, you know, um, you know, things won't get that bad. You know, I can't possibly, you know, just look at how, um, you know, people have to have some common sense. And, oh, and look, you know, these guys did things, and that seems like a pretty common sense thing to do. And then, of course, you end up with just a massive, uh, massive warfare and oppression and murder and arrests and exactly the type of thing that we're seeing in Ukraine now. Which so, despite any kind of possible good intentions or kind of seeing the light and what's going on, it's the hardliners that usually get the final say, and those are the guys that are just so. Um, so blind to to objective reality that they will push ahead no matter what. It's kind of it's kind of like the the Israel um, the Israel ment- mentality of you know taking the whole world down with you if uh, if anyone turns against you or if anyone starts an attack, starts a war with you. So so yeah, I don't think that this is any kind of uh, great news. It is interesting in the sense that it may it may point to certain realizations being made, certain you know new tactics um, being decided upon. But as for uh, as for anything major, like uh, all of a sudden the U.S. you know siding with Russia over this, and you know that's just not going to happen. But the, the from the two quotes that I read, the, the interesting that stands out is that. Um, you know, everyone, even Lavrov and Kerry, is talking about the things that they agree on now. So it looks like, again, um, some people in the U.S. are kind of coming to realize that there are certain things in the U.S. or certain things in the world, sorry, certain situations that can't be solved without Russia's involvement and without cooperation from Russia. Because Russia does wield a large amount of influence in these areas. So we look at, like, Syria and Iran, for example, where you can't just ignore Russia if you want to to solve any of these problems, at least, you know, even on the surface, you don't want it to solve them. So it's just a, it's just a big mess because even, you know, you take a situation like Syria where the U.S. wants something and there's this problem with IS, you know, Islamic State, and on the, on the surface, there are, uh, you know, certain objectives and there's a certain um, certain amount of you know, slogans and mottos and sayings of what the U.S. actually wants. But then behind that, of course, you know, the U.S. is the, is the one responsible for ISIS in the first place. So there's just so many layers that you have to dig through in order to, to find out what's really going on. And that's where I kind of like throw my hands up in the air and say, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think we really have to be careful of any kind of wishful thinking. You know, it's it's really easy to kind of fall into that and you know, want to see some, you know, uh, sanity uh, coming from the United States. But, you know, if we look back at recent history or even not so recent history, you know, 
there's no <laughs> rationality or, or, you know, sanity, you know, in, um, in, you know, all these crazy, crazy world events. So, yeah, you know, that, that in itself, um, come back to bite us if, you know, if we're not paying attention. There's, um, a terrific, uh, passage or quote from the Saker, um, kind of looking at all of this, uh, that was written recently. And he says, to understand the U.S. position, you have to stop thinking like a rational and mentally sane person and try to think like an imperialistic maniac hell-bent on world domination who sincerely sees Russia as the number one obstacle to the realization of this goal. And, um, you know, that, I think, is uh, our our best approach to the whole thing. Um, there hasn't been, I don't think, a single uh, act of uh, diplomacy or legislation or intervention by the U.S. that was in any way constructive abroad or uh, here domestically for a very long time. Um, everything seemingly has been motivated by um, power grabs. So, you know, we can kind of look at Kerry's visit um, and sort of see all the way, you know, like hope for all the ways that this could be a new beginning. Or, as you said, Shane, we can, uh, you know, we can realize that uh, there's, you know, that would be an amount of wishful thinking given a nearly perfect track record of uh, screwing things up <laughs> very badly from the point of view of anyone who I think is normal and, and healthy and would just like to see people live peaceably and, and with uh, good economic uh, policy and, and not being uh, destroyed by uh, the bombs of drones, you know, what have you. So, um, you know, uh, it's interesting also that this, that this visit to Sochi uh, came on the heels of the Victory Day celebration of mm -hmm. last weekend, um, you know, where there was an incredible amount or display of uh, military technology, um, political and, and economic alliances with uh, with China's leader, um, you know, a, a show of support by. Uh, the, the militaries and leaders of India, Mongolia, um, and some other nations in the world, uh, comprising a good portion of the world. Um, so, like on the surface level, you might say, oh, you know, maybe the U.S. is coming to a census. You know, it, it, it has a formidable, uh, a formidable enemy in, in the grouping of all of these major Eurasian countries. Um, but, you know, just keep in mind, they, you know, the U.S. government, military industrial complex, globalists are, they're batshit crazy uh, and and have all manner of strategies and, and ways of bringing about the chaos that they um, that they've been instilling in the world for at least the past 15 years. Um, so. Well, it was interesting to see like all the uh, mainstream media's uh, reaction to, you know, China's visit to Russia, and you know, if there was any kind of uh, change in, uh, you know, U.S. policy, you know, the uh, their lapdogs in the media didn't, didn't get the memo because <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a story after story, 
you know, berating the two, uh, saying how, you know, it's, uh, their, the relationships are, you know, they're doomed to fail. And, um, yeah, you know, it was pretty amazing to see, um, you know, when President Xi Jinping, uh, visited Moscow, they had, you know, uh, tons of, you know, new agreements and trade deals and treaties. There were about 32 different initiatives that were signed. Um, you know, they, they ranged from regional trade and, intelligence sharing and um the recent high speed uh, railway and you know it just kind of goes on and on um one of the pieces that kind of stood out for me was their uh, new pact for cyber warfare and uh so uh the media was kind of displaying this as uh, or dubbing it the uh, russia and china's new internet world order and um you know they're they're kind of phrasing it in a way that you know it's uh it's not about um Russia and China's natural ties but it's all against the United States you know it's it's all about how much they hate America <laughs> you know it, it's um everything is being done to you know kind of undermine you know, just the United States they're like a, the US is like a really bad jealous boyfriend it's completely narcissistic. It's all, you know, there's just that, that one perspective and, you know, that's all that they can see things through. Um, but, um, yeah, one, one of the things that I saw was, uh, how, you uh, this deal was, uh, about getting Chinese and Russian hackers to block the spread of free information, you know, quote unquote free information, meaning propaganda really, you know, um, and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because we think about, um, you know, viruses and, you know, these things in, in our computers and when really, you know, it's these big tech companies that are like Trojan horses and it's understandable that Russia and China are keeping, you know, these companies at like an, an arm's length, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, you know, we know that, you know, they have, uh, these relationships with the NSA, and, you know, it just makes sense that, you know, a, a company or a, a country like Russia or China, you know, wouldn't want the NSA to, you mm-hmm. know, be data mining. Um, but, you know, we kind of look at that in in terms of, uh, you know, freedom of expression. It's a very, you know, Western idea that, you know, kind of blocks out, um, you know, any, any, uh, any way of uh, protecting yourself and, um, you know, I think we, we really need to, um, understand the, this other side, which is like this, the freedom of association where, uh, you know, a person or country can, you know, has the freedom to associate or not associate, you know, with, with, uh, with other people or countries. And, um, you know, that's just kind of missing from, you know, from our minds, um, and, uh, you know, blocking them, you know, it's, it's what they're doing is, you know, they're, they're protecting their countries from, you know, some seriously uh, damaging influences. And, um, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me, but, you know, that's not really part of the, the Western uh, perspective. Well, that kind of makes sense to me too, especially if you think of it in terms of uh, Ponderology and Lopachevsky and, what he wrote about, um, you know, certain uh, ideas and processes uh, affecting the, the minds and the thinking of people. And, you know, it's been said here before how, you know, 
democracy and freedom, U.S. style, has been uh, the idea, uh, the very idea of, of having an open society and 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 free trade and uh, all of these thoughts. I mean, most of the proponents um, in in Russia of you know Western freedom and democracy and free trade and what have you um, have, uh, in a way, succumbed. Uh, and and not really seeing that um, it, the the very damaging um, um, definition as it really is of those things, uh, you know they've never read uh, Diary of a Economic Hitman or or any of those or Shock Doctrine and you know and that's most Americans for that matter as well. There's there's just this incredible. Um, uh, absence of knowledge of how things really work um, that uh, the Kremlin is aware of. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they've been making a, a strong effort to protect themselves, as you say, to to keep themselves um, clear of these, you know, these memes or viruses or thought viruses. Yeah, it was interesting. The uh, Speaking of China's and Russia's relationship, um, there seems to be the plots going on as well with uh, China now supporting a, a currency swap with Ukraine, mm-hmm. and because Ukraine exports over two billion to China and imports about over five billion of goods from China, and th- th- I thought that was quite interesting that China would be willing to help Ukraine with some of their currency crisis because it'll help stabilize uh, the hernia and. Uh, it just kind of makes me wonder if this is just a backdoor thing to Ukraine to kind of mm-hmm. uh, kind of change the situation over there from from their total destruction that they're being headed with, you know, U.S., NATO, EU, and the IMF. Yeah, it seems like the you know the Western perspective is kind of that you know uh, Russia wants to see you know Ukraine fail, and you know really that's that's the U.S. Mm-hmm. The U.S. wants chaos over there and. Um, you know, if China helping Ukraine, you know, is kind of one way to do, you know, to, to help stabilize, you know, they, they want to see, um, the, the people there not suffering. So, you know, maybe it is type of backdoor thing. Well, Castro was in the news recently and he, he just had a, something short and pithy to say about China and Russia. He said that the deep alliance of the peoples of the Russian Federation and China, based on advanced science, strong army, and the brave soldiers, is capable of ensuring the survival of mankind. So that's what Castro had to say. Um, it's good to see the old guy, uh, you know, still has a brain. Because really when you look at the alternatives, that's uh, pretty close to objective reality. Because, like, like we've been saying here, the U.S. is batshit crazy and just totally psychopathic. Even this latest overture from Kerry, um, it pretty much looks like like the one guy I quoted said, um, you know, just pretend that we're not strangling you right now and we'll lessen the grip a bit, you know, for purposes while you help us with these problems that we've got. And that's kind of the idea because the U.S. has been waging like a total war on all fronts against Russia, information war, economic warfare, um, the situation in Ukraine, 
the the whole Islamic terrorism thing you know, that began in the 80s as uh, a way of destabilizing Russia or uh, Soviet Union. And so, while this you know this has been going on f- since the Cold War and then after the Cold War, it's this has been kind of U.S. priority number one. And it's been going on for years. And then, um, oh, but, you know, we've got these problems that we've gotten. So let's just pretend to shake hands so you can help us. And then we'll go right back to stabbing you in the back. So um, obviously, Russian politicians are smart enough to see what's going on and not be taken in by this. But they'll, you know, they'll take what they can get and work with it because that's just the, the way they do politics is to, you know, take the facts on the ground and see what you can do with them. And so it'll be interesting to see how it, this progresses from the Russian standpoint, because the U.S. one will probably be, be pretty predictable. We can't expect any kind of turn in the way they, they're seeing the situation um, or the, the greater picture involving uh, the, the goal to desta- ultimately destabilize Russia and turn it into another uh, U.S. vassal state. Well, the, you know, the major you know, influential players they they very well may not have the capacity you know to see things uh differently you know than, mm-hmm. than they have been and uh you know everything is phrased in terms of dominance and and you know power plays even you know when they're looking at the relationship between Russia and China you know it's only in terms of you know uh, well power, well China is you know they're the dominant player and you know they're in and out and Russia's going to lose and blah, 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 you know, they can't understand, you know, the multipolar idea mm-hmm. where, you know, there's actually people like countries can actually have partnerships, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just a foreign, completely foreign concept to them. You know, it doesn't exist yeah. in their minds. They are so totally believing in their own, uh, manufactured self image of being the, the, the global hegemon and the, you know, the global dominator, that, you know, just it's just absurd to think that anyone would would think to question that. You know, who? I mean, they remind they remind me of some of the you know craziest Roman emperors that, or just any any mad king, mad leader who just is convinced of his own um, you know superiority and divinity and and uh, um, just absolute power. And just it, it would strike such a person as absurd, to, you know, to have some some slave, you know, think that they they've got ideas about being or even approaching that. It's laughable. One of the examples that I saw uh, was um, there was a Reuters blog uh, written by Blaine Courtney of the Rand Corporation. Yeah, so much for Reuters being you know any kind of objective source. And the title was "How Durable Is the China or China Russia Friendship?" Um, so they say of Russia and China, uh, though they share key economic interests and oppose what they claim to be a U.S.-dominated world order, the two nations' relationship over time promises to be uneven and tense. Uh, one crucial source of discord is that China is a rising power and Russia is not. Moscow may not be willing to accept the junior po- uh, partnership with China, nor is China likely to treat Russia with respect um, or with the respect that Moscow would assume as its right. Yeah, that's, that's this is the only way that they can you know see things. Is, uh, these these power plays and 
Well, there was a, there was a, a scientific practical conference uh, in Beijing on May 4th called China and Russia in a Changing World. So I just want to focus on this for a few minutes and just read some of the main points, perspective of how um, how these Chinese thinkers are seeing, you know, exactly what you were saying, Shane, like this guy from Reuters, um, pointing out kind of the, the uh, or hinting at an alternative worldview. Um, so just to get an idea of what they what they actually do or think and how they see this different worldview. So first of all. Um, I'm just going to read some some excerpts from this report that was given at that conference. So first of all, the U.S. strategy towards Islamic State in Ukraine suggests the transition from debt financing to the strategy of debt write-off by fomenting World War III. That is the main threat of our time. So first of all, that that in itself agrees with a lot of the kind of analysis that you read in the alternative news that all this stuff going on, um, all these conflicts in, in the world are this last-ditch effort just to stave off um, perception that the U.S. itself is is dying and um, is just headed for collapse. And the only way to, to, um, to solve that problem is not to take any kind of rational measure, but to just throw the world into chaos in order to distract, uh, divert attention, and and uh, project blame on these, you know, largely fictional or manufactured threats like Russian aggression and you know Islamic terrorism. Russian aggression being totally fictional, and and uh, you know Islamic terrorism being entirely, or at least largely, um, you know the the creation of the U.S. intelligence services for the past thirty plus years. So the report goes on, um, another point. In the economy, a shaping division of global of a global financial market into the dollar, euro, and ones is already evident. It will be very tense, and it will be a very tense and unstable order. China will slow its growth due to a combination of internal processes, which will yield a catalyst for plunging the world into a global depression and will force a collapse into macro regions, striking China itself, limiting, limiting its access to Western markets. The scenario requires a preventive response project uh, on the basis of deepening and streamlining comprehensive cooperation with Russia. So here, uh, you know, these Chinese uh, thinkers, academics, are seeing this collapse in the future and trying to figure out, uh, you know, ways of actually um, mitigating it or being able to survive it, as opposed to just going out into other countries and starting wars and fomenting the kind of chaos that the U.S. has been doing for generations. So the the main the main thrust of this presentation was that Russia and China Russia and China must work together to resolve these inevitable problems. And the so uh, we had a show, I believe, late last year, talking about this Russia-China alliance and how it it can break down largely into um, kind of the Chinese technology and industry, and as they put it in this paper, the the Russian culture. So that's kind of how these people are seeing, <coughs> sorry, the the division of uh, kind of responsibilities and what each can bring to the table is that Russia is the one bringing the actual culture, the worldview, 
the the kind of overarching principles of this kind of cooperation and Eurasian integration. And the Chinese have you know all this tech, technological and industrial capability, and they work very well together and can work together. So this has been the project um, for for a while now, and this back years in Putin's policy about this this idea of Eurasian integration and uh, solidifying partnerships and um, and cooperation with the other countries in the region, which just makes sense. that's you know. It's uh, it makes more sense to cooperate with your neighbors rather than start bombing them, in order to uh, you know maintain your uh, undeserved superiority. Um, so they see three threats um, that this strategic this strategy you know is uh, designed to defend against. So the first of all, the first one is the the end of qualitative technological pro- uh, progress. Because the, um, we got uh, commercialization of technical principles uh, launched during the Cold War, and you know these have brought fan- fantastic results. But um, though it's in a, like a very narrow circle of uh, of people and of ideas, so this is one of the threats that the the discovery of new principles and uh, you know new technological processes kind of. Um, stultified because they're focusing on these narrow interests um, in in the interests of a very small group of people. They also see a big threat as the regression of culture, uh, the culture of everyday life. So degradation of education, healthcare, logical thinking, rational goal setting and behavior, the segregation of society, uh, the shaping of new castes, um, with a loss of both solidarity and competition. Now this describes the U.S. to a T because, I mean, uh, education, health care, <laughs> lack of logical thinking, rational decision-making processes, um, it's obviously a problem. Now, when you're, you know, when you're a fish, you can't really tell the water around you uh, is water, but so, you know, anyone living in the States, it's just kind of normal that um, it's just the environment that you live in, so you can't really see how utterly stupid the culture is in the entire society, how... Um, how every decision seems to be the totally wrong one, how people are just dumb. You know, people don't know what's going on in the world. They don't know what's even going on in their own country. They are totally controlled and just, uh, you know, mindless puppets to a, to a, to a great degree of what, um, you know, what their masters want them to be. And so naturally the rest of the world or at least parts of the rest of the world can see this because it's pretty it's pretty damn obvious when you look at it from the outside how ridiculous and stupid it is um so so at least the chinese and the russians can see this and the third one that they mention is the dehumanization of society now these are all you know they're good points and they get towards what you were saying Ilana, about ponderology i mean they're seeing a lot of these symptoms of what's going on they may not be using the words and that's probably the um, you know the biggest downside about the, the these uh, these projects and alliances between countries is that they see a lot of the symptoms and they've got some of the right solutions, but they still kind of they miss out on the on identifying the real problem. And you know, like Lobachevsky said, n- no matter what you do, even with the best intentions, without knowing and explicitly mentioning um, the problem uh, of psychopathy. You know, it's it's uh, it's not going to be a lasting solution, unfortunately. Who knows? We'll see where that goes. 
um, you know, they, they've also in China, they see the, the Ukraine coup as being a, you know, total creation of the U.S. Um, to create a, quote, Nazi state to oppose the Russian integration project. Uh, socioeconomic policy. Um, the socioeconomic economic policy of the alliance is one of providing for the development in the interests of the people and not global business. So earlier they'd said that the main trend of modern political development of mankind is the national liberation struggle of the nations against global business and the global management class expressing its interests. The latter, so the global management class, possesses tremendous power, is free of any responsibility to those who are affected by their actions, and are aggressively hostile to all forms of separation, including on a state level. China has joined the global managerial class as a key participant key participant of globalization with its business, including government and other representatives. However, due to the proximity of the Chinese elite to the people, they did not betray national interests and remained part of the people without becoming, in contrast to the elites, the elites of many other countries, a part of the global class, managing their countries in its best interests. So right there, there's the whole idea of um, that we see in China and that we see in, you know, kind of embodied in the in President Putin of actually being a leader for the people. So this is the these are at least the ideals and uh, and ideas that are uh, you know current in in China and among the leadership, um, actually trying to do things and run the country in a way that, of course, you know benefits the moneyed classes, but at the same time it doesn't. Um, uh, doesn't go against, uh, doesn't oppress the, the the people as a whole, and in fact tries to benefit them at the same time, which you'd think would be a rational decision. You know, you're running a country. What do you want? Do you want uh, an entire country of millions of people that hate you because you know you oppress them and uh, don't give them anything to make their their life a bit easier, or do you try to make their lives as comfortable and uh, fulfilling as possible. I mean, you'd think that the answer would be obvious um, to any human, but, you know, unfortunately, we don't have humans running a place like the, the United States. Well, um, as you were uh, describing those points, I was just thinking about uh, the population of Russia and their support of Putin and why. Um, you have a lot of people who, you know, under the yoke of, uh, communism, um, who knew what life was like for many decades, um, under an, an oppressive political regime, uh, who had to stand on bread lines, uh, or lines for just about anything, uh, where, you know, social services were kept to a minimum, where the party, the, the the communist party was you know the the haves and the rest of the you know uh, 170 or so odd million uh, Russians were the have-nots. Um, so every uh, every bit of um, reform, every bit of um, uh, improvement um, in the quality of life uh, that has um, occurred under Putin for the for the past 15 or so years has been appreciated with the knowledge that, you know, it, it could have very easily gone in the other direction. 
uh, and they could recognize these things uh, for themselves. They didn't need the media to tell them how wonderful things were. Um, you know, these were uh, kind of self-evident um, changes in the quality of their life. So uh, just another reason why, you know, they're so behind Putin. They know the guy is sincere. They know what he has been up against, at least in part. I don't think most people even know what most Russians even know what he's been up against um, and just how far his intelligence training um, has has helped keep Russia secure to the degree that it is today. Um, so, you know, and like you were saying, Harrison, in, in stark contrast to the U.S., you know, if, if we're all fish here in, in this kind of polluted water, um, dumbed down, uh, brainwashed, um, kind of entranced by technology and media, uh, and um, even even the most informed of us, I'm finding, just don't know how things really are in a way. Yeah, I think that's really spot on because, you know, uh, Russia and both Russia and China, you know, there is like a, you know, real deep social memory and cultural memory of, you know, suffering, uh, suffering at the hands of uh, pathological types. And, you know, they know, um, you know, what it's like yeah, to, you know, to be in the bread lines, to, to, you know, see the propaganda and, and the effects and, you know, Americans, you know, we're not at that point. You know, all well, you know, one of the really amazing feats of the American pathological system is that you know it's exported its suffering to other countries, and the American people haven't you know felt it full on uh, yet. Um, I, I I think you know there's a very strong case that, you know, it will eventually, you know, that that's really the only way it could go. Um, but until that happens, you know, uh, we're so, we're so blind to other people's suffering that, you know, you know, we, we, we still have those, um, you know, beliefs and, you know, what, what our leaders say and, and we don't want to see, you know, the, the pain and suffering of others. And especially if it's, if it's at the hands of our leaders, you know, it's, it's easier to, uh, deny and, you know, uh, stay in kind of, a this abusive relationship, um, where, you know, we don't see, see those things happening. Well, the American worldview is, is very insular and xenophobic. Like I can't now I'm going to just try something out. Like if you were to ask, the average American, you know, what they thought of Mexicans or Canadians or French people, you know, what kind of responses might you get? I'm just curious because I'm not American. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it would be, you know, the typical stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So even even with um, countries that are close to the U.S. or considered allies, probably, you know, not not very good things to say or at least, you know, just totally ignorant things, right? Yeah. Well, I watched a, a video a couple of days ago, um, shot in China, going around just asking Chinese people all over the place what they thought about Russia and Putin. And first of all, um, a lot of the responses were first of all, well, first of all, educated. Like these people, kind of, first of all, knew what Russia was. You know, not like many 
of the same kind of videos that you see about asking Americans on the street what they think about other countries and other, and you know, they can't even find them on the map. So first of all, the Chinese, you know, know about Russia and they have, you know, very good things to say about, about Putin. They think he's a good man, a kind man. Um, all the women find him attractive for some reason. And, <laughs> and, they they're very happy about the you know the 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 good relationship between uh Jinping and Putin and they they see them as kind of uh you know kind of like soul brothers like they they both they're both strong men they're both they both have an inner strength that comes uh comes from like from their inner compassion uh, you know they're good men and good leaders and that uh, the 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 that the relationship between Russia and China will only bring good things to both sides it's actually, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a kind of touching video to watch just to see, um, just to see these, you know, ordinary Chinese people just, you know, talking about how they, how they see the world. But that, that's just another example of a stark contrast between, um, between how the rest of the world thinks and how a, a normal person thinks, and then how you have this totally pathological. U.S. worldview that is just so focused on itself and is totally unaware of anything going on in the world around it. Um, it's it's just it's just narcissism on you know a, a national level that just uh, boggles my mind when I think about it and when I see it in operation. And I've you know we've talked about Putin a lot. I've we've read a lot about him. And one of the things that I often read is that. You know, Putin, you know, may be a good leader, but that doesn't mean he's a good guy. And of course, you could say that about anyone. And but that primarily he's looking out for Russia and doing what's best for Russia. And so, you know, anything else that that might benefit another country or group of countries is kind of just a, um, you know, a, a positive side effect of something that was primarily motivated by the self-interest of Russia and its people. I'm not so sure about that. Um about that way of looking at things. Maybe I've just got, um, you know, my own wishful thinking, but reading, again, reading this report uh, from the conference in, in China, at least the way they're phrasing it, like, listen to this. Um, so the creation, what they're looking for is a creation of um, infrastructure for regular cons- consultations between China and Russia, full of experts, scholars, corporate and public governance, um, ensuring the development and maintenance of mutual understanding, a common agenda, and creating the institutional basis for close cooperation. Yeah, it's all good stuff. We, and then this is kind of like a closing statement. We, China and Russia, must stop the purposeful and varied efforts of global business to rescue the U.S. and, pre- and preserve their hegemony at the expense of destroying the rest of the world. This can be done only in one way, by creating a new just reality, creating a new world to replace the old one being destroyed before our eyes. The main enemy is the USA. National bureaucracies are puppets of global business. So we need to overcome the short-sighted patriots by creating a system of mutual obligations, promoting objectivity by neutralizing excessive fears and hopes. So basically promoting an objective worldview where you actually see what's going on. You don't... um, you don't get distracted by um, by fears or you know excessive hopes that are unrealistic. So look at the look at the situation objectively and come up with practical responses and solutions to the problems on the ground. Um, so blah blah blah. Therefore, 
An objective ally of the Russian-Chinese cooperation is all of mankind, all nations, to whom we must offer a new model of socioeconomic and even just personal development in contrast to the old model of their governments and global corporations. But first we need to develop this model ourselves. So I think that 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 worldview is kind of, it's like a, when you, when you, um, it's kind of like a hologram. Like when you just embody a certain part of it, you know, certain other things come along with it. So I wouldn't say that Putin's, um, Putin's ideology or worldview is just strictly Russian centered because just, if you just look at a, if you just take an ideology, an ideology like that and look at it in terms of national self-interest, you could say that's what the U S has been doing. And the, the, the U S and the Russia are just like complete opposites in the way in kind of the actual meat and substance of what they're actually doing. So it's not that Putin or Russia is just focusing on its own self-interest. It's doing that in such a way that in, that also, um, embodies those things that I just read out, you know, coming from this Chinese guy, that it's not just about Russia. It's like what's best for Russia is what's best for everyone else, and what's best for everyone else will happen will be good for Russia too. It's this it's this contrast between these two worldviews, this totally selfish one of you know psychopathic superiority and power and oppression uh, of anyone below you, and just everyone kind of being out for everyone else and trying to do things that, you know, benefit me by benefiting someone else as well. It just, you know, like I said earlier, it just seems to make sense. But yeah, it, makes, it. it makes total sense. Um, because you know, when, you know, I look at it even on a local level, you know, self-preservation and, you know, it like that's naturally going to come, you know, first mm-hmm. and, and, but it can also extend, you know, to your family or, you know, your community and, and, you know, and beyond. And, you know, if you're not taking care of, you know, yourself, like, you know, that's, that's just, it's, it's not a, it's not, it's not a realistic, uh, idea that, you know, that of course, of course, Putin should be, you know, looking out for, for his country, you know, but that doesn't mean that he's not also, you know, um, looking to help other countries and forming relationships and alliances, uh, as he has been doing, um, the, uh, the comments that you, that you had uh, talked about from, uh, you know, the Russian people or the uh, Chinese people, you know, about, uh, Putin and, um, president, president, uh, uh, Jinping, uh, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like it was, um, you know, it's based on, you know, an informed, um, uh, worldview. And, you know, that's, that's just completely missing, uh, in the United States when, when there is a lack of information, it's like a vacuum. And instead what, you know, uh, gets kind of put in is just like these sound bites that you see on the media, mm-hmm. you know, they have phrases and, you know, they say them over and over and over again. And that's going to be people's opinion that you come across when there's no actual information. And I think that, you know, using this analogy of, of bringing it down to the, to the individual or to the family, um, you know, the idea that uh, the U.S. is narcissistic and, and that Russia has a relatively, um, and now China, a healthy um, perspective or approach to governance towards, uh, towards its people is, is 
really quite useful. Um, and I think what we've been seeing over the past few years is, is Russia, you know, if, if you can say that Russia itself has a soul, um, you know, it's been growing, you know, it's, it's been, uh, detoxing and, and cleansing itself of, uh, influences from within and without that have been destructive. And, um, and, and in so doing has broadened, you know, as you were saying, Harrison, it, it's kind of broadened its conception of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that using these terms like narcissism and, and psychopathy that we usually apply to individuals and individual behavior uh, is is applicable to whole nations. Um, and, uh, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about something that I just said about the idea of, of Putin being, you know, putting Russia first and, and um, Russia's interests first. And I think that's true. But then I said that it could ar- arguably be said that the U.S. does the same thing. But no, that's totally wrong because Russia actually does put Russia's interests first. U.S. interests aren't the interests of the United States, which encompasses all of its people. It is the the interests of a small, moneyed, rich, powerful class against the people. So the United States doesn't even have, uh, you know, a nationalistic policy or, you know, a patriot policy of supporting the actual United States. It's to support these rich psychopaths at the expense of the people yeah, and been, exclusively at the, at the expense of the people. Yeah, it's been quite a uh, scheme that, that they got the American people to, you know, the interests of, you know, the wealthy are their interests, you know, kind of... Uh, probably it was really popularized, uh, you know, uh, under Reagan and, you know, just this whole idea that, you know, well, you know, you can be, uh, you know, a, a wealthy elite too, you know, and, and yeah, it's just been, uh, but, you know, I, I think, um, I think as the, you know, economy gets worse and, you know, people do really start to feel the effect, you know, their, our beliefs uh, that, you know, people will start to say, hey, you know, uh, maybe this uh, isn't quite right. Uh, well, it'll, it'll be like having the, uh, the proverbial carpet, you know, pulled out from under them. Um, and then they'll be willing to, um, if they can think straight, uh, accept almost any idea about um, what the U.S. actually is, or at least the very fact that they've been lied to so egregiously for so long. You know, how could it, how could it be allowed to happen to such a, a horrific extent? It's going to be quite a shock for many. Well, that's the question. You know, are, are people going to, are they going to be capable of uh, processing, you know, that shock? You know, when, um, when SOT, you know, continually carries, you know, all these, these news uh, items, you know, it's, it's, it is very shocking, but it's also, you know, you're gradually kind of uh, deconstructing, you know, these uh, beliefs that we've had. And, and when you're faced with, you know, this collapse, this massive collapse of ideas all at once, you know, that's got to be really psychologically just traumatizing. And, you know, you have to wonder, uh, are how functional are people going to be able to be when faced with something like that? Well, uh, on the subject of um, 
psychopaths and greedy individuals or the oligarchy in the U.S. Uh, really doing very little to serve um, the people of the U.S. in any uh, real ways or terms. Um, you know, one story uh, here in the U.S. has been about the Trade Promotion Authority. Um, and uh, there's a bit of a, a political um, conflict, if you can call it that, in Washington right now. Uh, it's an obscure piece of legislation. That's what John Corbett's calling it. Uh, that is now at the heart of debate over Washington's ratification of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, the, tra- the Trade Promotion Authority, or Fast Track Negotiating Authority, as it's otherwise known, is an authority granted by Congress that allows the president to present trade agreements to Congress for approval or rejection and stops the treaty from being filibustered or amended. This authority is needed because Congress is, in fact, given all authority to regulate commerce with foreign nations, quote-unquote, and, quote, lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, end quote. The idea, supposedly, is to give the president quote, added leverage to negotiate trade agreements by effectively assuring U.S. trade partners that final agreements will be given timely and unamended consideration, end quote. What this Trade Promotion Authority, or TPA, means in reality, though, is that potentially disastrous trade deals like the TPP can be negotiated in almost complete secrecy and then presented to Congress as a done deal and ramrodded through the House before the public even knows what's happening. Nothing new there. And what the carefully whitewashed Congressional Research Service reports on the subject won't tell you is that the TPA has been championed by none other than David Rockefeller. Uh, David Rockefeller proudly admitted in, in his book, Memoirs, um, Council of the Americas, um, he's a founder and an honorary chairman of that organization, uh, was actually instrumental in lobbying for uh, Bush's uh, W's TPA push in 2001. Uh, so he's doing it again now. Um, now, globalists love the idea of TPA because it makes the creation of unaccountable multilateral trade deals like NAFTA or the North uh, American Trade Agreement, uh, the WTO, and the TPP a lot easier. And it would be no surprise, Corbett says, that Obama, who's done nothing but demonstrate himself as a serviceable puppet for the globalists during his time in power, should now be fighting with many of his former allies, including the trade unions, environmental groups, progressives, and members of his own party in order to pass this bit of legislation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Obama has basically betrayed every uh, progressive group in the U.S. that thought he was, you know, actually going to bring some kind of um, real change to the U.S. Um, and Corbett goes on about this. He says that the fight isn't really about fast-tracking the authority itself so much as it is about the TPP. So what is the TPP exactly? And uh, what he goes on to say, um, he lists uh, a number of of things that this legislation would would enable um, changes to intellectual property laws that will expand copyright laws 
will put further restrictions on fair use and make it harder for people to exchange information online. So another kind of oppressive uh, or repressive measure in in, uh, the free flow of information. Um, And provisions that will end access to affordable medicine for wide swaths of the Asia-Pacific and interfere with medical research. Uh, It'll also provide further opportunities for corporations to sue governments for things they don't like, like anti-smoking legislation or rejecting hormone-ridden meat. You know, so theoretically, if if a country is resisting uh, Monsanto's efforts to, you know, um, you know, influence its agricultural base, Monsanto can can sue the country's government for for not being allowed to do this, even if all the facts show that uh, that Monsanto's Roundup and and its and its seeds are um, are kind of detrimental to to the land. And people. And people. (laughs) Don't forget people. Um, Another thing is that, you know, this type of uh, trade agreement would destroy jobs, uh, more jobs in the U.S. economy. So it's not even helping um, Americans to to be employed uh, because, you know, this legislation presumes or or would affect – the ability for these huge corporations to, you know, pay employees, you know, a pittance abroad in order to to keep producing what they want. Um, but and this is where it kind of gets interesting. This is where it comes to. Um, we've got a senator, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's been speaking out quite vocally about the legislation and. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like I'm, I'm listening to her work and I'm so happy that someone is actually calling a spade a spade in this context. Uh, she still is a politician at the same time, but she seems sincere and, and she's one of the very few uh, politicians out there who, who's making any kind of sense. Um. So uh, she's responding uh, to Obama's attempt to get uh, this legislation pushed through. And we actually have a little clip of her being interviewed by Rachel Maddow of MSNBC, um, who's, you know, I haven't for a while. She's got some progressive bents, but for the most part seems to be kind of on the side of, you know, the quote unquote democratic um, Obama and presidency. So we're going to hear a couple of minutes of what uh, Elizabeth Warren has to say about this bit of legislation, which speaks to everything we've been talking about for the past 15 minutes. Workers, then put it out there and let them see it before we have to grease the skids to get the deal done. Uh, On the issue of who has information about what's in the deal, uh, the administration told us today that there will be uh, a public comment period before the trade agreement is signed by the president, that the public uh, will be able to see it online for a certain amount of time before any decision is made. Does that assuage any of your fears about this? Look, they're asking us to vote now on greasing the skids so that we give up now any chance to be able to amend it, any chance to be able... Uh, to block it, any chance to be able to slow it down. Give all that up, and then you'll get to see the deal on the other side. 
I just don't think that's reasonable. And let me tell you partly why. We can talk about the facts that the American people can't see, but there's one fact that the American people can see, and that is how the negotiation process worked. So, you know, these negotiations have been going on for a long time, and there are 28 different working groups for it. Eighty-five percent of the people in those working groups are senior executives in various industries that are going to be affected, or they are lobbyists for those industries. They're the ones who've helped shape the deal. They're the ones who have helped determine what that deal is going to look like on the other side. And my view is when the process is rigged, then the outcome's likely to be rigged. So you're saying that the corporate interests that will be directly involved in this and who most want the deal, even as most labor interests are saying they are not interested in this deal, you're saying those corporate interests do have all the access not only to seeing what's in it, but in fact to shaping what's in it. They, they've been in there now for months and months and months during the negotiations, the back and forth, helping shape this deal. And I just think it's time to say no. What we want to do here is want to say, put the deal out there so the American people can see it, and then let's have a debate on the facts. And I'll tell you this. I, I've started a petition now. After I listened to the president, I said, you know, let's just hear from the American people. It's at ElizabethWarren.com. It's right there on the front page. For the American people to say, no, we want to see this deal before you grease the skids, not afterwards. So... You know, there's Elizabeth Warren speaking out about this, and um, I mean, you, you can kind of apply the process by which a lot of legislation gets uh, put through in the U.S. It's in large part created by lobbyists, special interest groups, um, with politicians who are on the payroll uh, in one way or another of these uh, special interests, um, and and she's kind of calling it like it is. Um, Obama had an interesting response to this, which is simply to say that Elizabeth Warren is wrong. Uh, he couldn't He couldn't really address any of what she was saying because he would, there was, there's nothing to say. Uh, he, he has no counter argument about it. All he can hope to do uh, is, is kind of push things through and hope that there aren't too many people aside from Warren or Bernie or a couple of other uh, folks out there speaking out against this uh, and hope that it, it doesn't get scuttled because, you know, Obama himself is on the payroll of the big banks and uh, the globalists. And, and so, um, you know, it, it looks like this debate will probably get quashed one way or the, or the other pretty soon. And what are the chances of the members of Congress even getting to read the final uh, TPP proposal before they get to vote? Uh, I've seen so many times where the legislation is so large, they don't even get a chance to read it. And there's another fact about this, and, and that is that if they if they do want to read it, they have to go in a kind of a sub-basement government buildings. Uh, they're not allowed to bring pen and paper to take notes. They can only read portions of it at a time. Uh, you know, if that doesn't speak to um, trying to keep this whole thing secretive, uh, I don't know what does. Ilan, this is democracy. That's it what is. democracy is all about. 
I forgot. You can't, I mean, you can't let people read the legislation. You can't even let the legislators read the legislation. That's, it's just not democracy without, you know, such corporate freedom. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That, well, that's my point. <laughs> Go on. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the, the irony of all of this is that, um, like Obama has in past months kind of pr- presented this material as an alternative to, um, the, the type of banking associations and, uh, and deals that China and Russia are trying to, mm-hmm. uh, put together as if to say, look at this great thing. And, and anyone who kind of looks at it for just a moment is going to say, you know, I, I can only imagine, do you think I'm an idiot? This is an alternative. Um, you know, it's just more of the same, only worse. So, um, that's happening here, and uh, I guess we'll keep tabs on it and, and see how things develop there. Well, I think this is just like, you know, prime example of what we were talking about earlier uh, regarding, you know, Carrie's visit. And, you know, there's such a, a gigantic moving force uh, for evil in in the United States. And, you know, the, the you know, one visit to Sochi, you know, that's... That's really, you know, just a drop in a bucket when, when you really look at, you know, all these things that are going on. I want to go back to the idea of, you know, a country's self, self-interests or national interests. And uh, an image that came to mind is that the U.S. is really like a self-mutilator. Because, like, they've got one body part, like, you know, their head. And that would be like the government and the corporations that run the country. And instead of actually doing anything to benefit the rest of the body, you know, everything is, is for the, the head, even if that means, um, you know, just the the pleasure it might get from, you know, smashing its own fingers or, you know, cutting off various appendages and basically torturing the body. That's pretty much what the United States is. You know, the large, the large body, the body politic is is ignored, um, you know, malnourished, uneducated, and, you know, pummeled into submission. Um, it's like a, it's, or it's like an autoimmune disorder where, you know, the police just, you know, keep shooting, you know, its own, their own citizens. And um, so, the, you know, the, the body can't live on like that. It's going to die. Whereas if you actually adopt a policy of strengthening the body, giving it healthy food, you know, some exercise, some, some clean, fresh air, some relaxation. But you, then, you know, that would be a good thing, but you can't do that without, um, you can't focus just on your body because if you want to nourish your body, that means you have to, um, you have to grow healthy food and you can't do that without doing something positive for, you know, the land around you. And if you want some relaxation or some, some good company, you can't do that without, you know, having some friends that you treat with respect and that you have, you know, good conversations with and kind of like this mutual cooperation with that person. So that, you know, that, that concern for your own body extends to the outside world. This is going back to what I was saying about the, the two worldviews that seem to be on display is that when you apply that to, to countries, to nations, it just uh, the same thing follows where if you if you actually work for the benefit of your own country that will necessitate that will entail doing similar things for the countries around you and establishing those close relationships of cooperation so again the benefits just keep going but um 
you know, it's it's all it's a it's a great ideal to have, but it's it's I think it's also important important to be realistic and take into account the existing contingencies and practicalities because, uh, you know, as good as the as the, this worldview might be, we still have to take into account that corruption still exists. You know, you still have short-sighted people. You still have people that that value their own self-interest um, over against the 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 interests of the people around you. So you'll you'll find these problems in any country, and of course, so of course you'll find them in Russia and China. But what seems to be different is that whereas in the United States you might have leaders using the language of you know freedom and democracy. Whereas the, uh, what they're really doing is is working against those things. It's just it's a t- type of double speak. They're saying one thing just for the purpose of impression management and giving a certain impression while they're doing the total opposite thing. In the the person of Putin, for example, you have someone who says these words but actually does things to bring them about. So he's a, he's you know he's actually genuine when he says and does these things, regardless of. Um, you know what anyone else is doing because when you've got a uh, a leader that's doing those things, it's it's kind of like he's setting a he's setting himself up as a role model, as a as an as an example for other people to follow. So, like the, the Putin, for me at least, kind of represents the 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 idea of Russia, of what Russia could or should be, and so he he personally does everything he can in service to that ideal and to the country. It's up to everyone else to kind of recognize that and do what they can to to bring that about, you know, with him and all together. And of course, that will apply to to China as well and any other country and the the whole world, whether they can see that and do something to actually bring about the the benefits that would come from that worldview. Um, I, just, I just want to bring up one example of, you know, how of how that might work in actual practice. Um, apparently, five of the r- regional governors in Russia were fired last week, mm-hmm. and so as uh, as they put it on Fort Russ, uh, it's a great little blog where they translate stuff from Russia from Russian into English. Um, consequences for messing up usually are not long in coming in Russia. The governor's ratings are taken seriously, and no amount of campaign promises, campaign cash, or sheer electioneering can cover up poor performance. If only we had you know, something like that in Western countries, right? Actual accountability. So if a, if a Russian governor is, is doing a bad job, he gets fired. And you know there will be an election, and so the people, like with this last guy that was fired, um, he's, he, he is allowed to serve out the rest of his term, and there will be elections, and then, you know, then the pe- people will basically decide if he if he stays or goes. Chances are he'll go. Um, so that, I think that's just a small example of how you know uh, no country is perfect, no matter what ideals you know a leader or you know the country in quotes itself um, professes. There's always going to be problems, but it's how it's how you deal with those problems. And if if you've actually got any people that embody that worldview as opposed to just using it as a uh, a mask of sanity like like Lobachevsky described with pathocracies, which is what the United States is. So the United States has a great, you know, a great worldview on the surface. You know, freedom and democracy, who wouldn't want those things? But those words don't actually th- mean what you think they mean when you actually get down to it. Democracy is the freedom of a tiny elite to lord it over the rest of the people and the rest of the world and if you don't like it you know screw you that's what democracy is democracy equals screw you 
and um, you know, all with high, high and flowery words that you know mean nothing in the end. Well, you know, this kind of reminds me, and I, I forget the name of the legislation or, or or how it was ruled, but didn't Obama go to the Supreme Court and have um, there was some kind of uh, law now that uh, politicians are permitted to lie? Um, period. That they won't be held accountable. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, the Supreme Court, the highest law of the land in the U.S., has basically sided uh, with uh, liars, with people who um, uh, can now and have always basically uh, manipulated the public um, and their understanding of certain things in, in order to do what they want to do to serve themselves. So this is, um, you know, this is what we've come to. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you read about it and, uh, and then you read about it again. It's like, am I, am I reading this correctly? Is that correct? Is, uh, is this, this can't possibly be true. This can't, you know, uh, oh, you know, are, are they, is this, you know, what world am I living in? What world am I living in? <laughs> can someone, can someone, you know, am I, am I dreaming? Yeah, I don't remember that particular legislation, but I, I do remember uh, one where there is a a case. I think it was uh, it was a lawsuit against Fox News. Yeah, and I think it was regarding uh, some some food issue, perhaps milk or or something along those lines, and. Um, the the case was that you know Fox was intentionally lying, and um, you know and they were being sued for it, and they were ruled, they, you know, it was ruled in favor of of that news can legally lie and mm-hmm. get away, and you know it's it's fine because you know, it's entertainment. Yeah, I think that was the justification. Yeah. So when you watch the news, it's classified as entertainment, so they have no um, no obligation to tell you the truth, no legal responsibility. No. Democracy for the elites. Well, we were talking earlier, William, you mentioned that there were some developments in Syria. Um, and that situation just seems to be getting worse and worse as well. Um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. The, the Quite a striking headline this morning that just uh, went pretty crazy in the mainstream media. Um where the U.S. commandos uh, had a raid in Syria to kill an ISIS gas minister. Now, this is interesting because it's coming on the heels of the the 2011 bin Laden uh, uh, mission that uh, Seymour Hirsch decided to blow holes all into it. So uh, it looks like the uh, U.S. had to do something to get their reputation back, so to say. Um, here's a statement. That's from the White House by the uh, NSC spokesperson, Bernadette Meehan. Last night, at the president's direction, U.S. personnel personnel out of Iraq conducted an operation in Al-Amr in eastern Syria to capture an ISIL senior leader known as Abu Sayyaf and his wife, Um. During the course of the operation, Abu Sayyaf was killed when he engaged U.S. forces. Um Sayaf, his wife, was captured and is currently in the U.S. military detention in Iraq. The operation also led to the freeing of a young Yazidi woman who appears to have been held as a slave by the couple. 
No U.S. personnel were killed or injured during this movie. Oh, excuse me, operation. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Abu Sayyaf was a senior ISIL leader who, among other things, had a senior role in overseeing ISIL's illicit gas and oil operations, which was a key source of revenue that enables terrorist organizations to carry out their brutal tactics and oppress thousands of innocent civilians. He was also involved with the group's military operations. We suspect that Um Saif is a member of ISIL, played an important role in ISIL's terrorist activities, and may have been complicit in the enslavement of the young woman rescued last night. The president authorized this operation upon a unanimous recommendation of his national security team. And as soon as we had developed sufficient intelligence and were confident the mission could be carried out successfully, and consistent with the requirements for undertaking such operations. This operation was conducted with the full consent of Iraqi authorities, like our existing airstrikes against ISIL in Syria, consistent with domestic and international law. We are working to, to determine an ultimate disposition for the detainee that best supports the national security of the United States and of our allies and partners, consistent with domestic and international law. We will follow our usual practice with respect to giving the ICRC notification and access to the detainee. As Commander-in-Chief, the President is grateful to the brave U.S. personnel who carried out this complex mission, as well as the Iraqi authorities, for their support of the operation and for the use of their facilities, which contributed to its success. The United States will continue to stand shoulder to shoulder with our Iraqi partners in our efforts to degrade and ultimately destroy ISIL. A um, little bit of further details from CNN. There was hand-to-hand -hand combat during the operation, which was helicopter-born. Helicopter-born kung fu. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the uh, Syrian Observatory for Human Rights... A London-based monitoring group said at least 19 ISIS militants had been killed by the coalition bombing targeting ISIS location in an Al Omar oil field in eastern Deir Azor in the early hours of Saturday as well. And uh, as uh, and what's curious is that the White House, uh, the incursion to Syria's ter territory was consistent with domestic and international law and was conducted with the full consent of Iraq, which is odd because last time we checked, Syria was not in Iraq. Uh, must be one of those U.S. exemption loopholes that apply to domestic and international law we have heard so much about. So did the U.S. coordinate with Syria? Uh, the U.S. government did not coordinate with the Syrian regime, nor did we advise them in advance of the operation. We have warned the Assad regime not to interfere with our ongoing efforts against ISIL inside of Syria. Don't interfere. This is our operation, even though it's in your country. <laughs> the Assad regime is not and cannot be a partner in the fight against ISIL. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, that international law? What is most curious is that even before the official U.S. report, Syrian state TV reported that Syrian government forces killed at least 40 ISIS fighters, including a senior commander in charge of oil fields in an uh, attack Saturday on the country's largest oil field. Held by ISIS, it identified the commander as Abu al-Team al-Saudi. The name indicates he was a Saudi citizen. And even more curious is the U.S. did not provide the full name of the militant identified as Abu Sayyaf. There was no information immediately 
available on jihadist websites. In fact, all the U.S. has said is that Saif was a senior ISIL leader who, among other things, had a senior role in overseeing ISIL's illicit oil and gas operations. Um, and CNN further adds, Abu Sayyaf is not a name familiar to many ISIS watchers. <laughs> is that perhaps because it's completely made up? Last time we checked, however, even senior ISIL leaders have official passports belonging to official countries. The suggestion is that this ISIL leader was neither Syrian nor Iraqi, but Saudi Arabian. So in short, both the U.S. and Syria agree that there is a fight overnight in which a senior ISIS leader was killed following a firefight with either U.S. or Syrian forces, a leader who the U.S. has not fully identified and which the Syrian claim is a gentleman with the name of Abu al-Tim al-Saudi. Suddenly, the recent snubbing of Obama by the uh, Saudi King Salman makes much more sense. The question now is that the ISIS oil minister, Saudi or not, is out of the picture, and Saudi Arabia, or, or maybe regime can no longer flood the world market with ultra-cheap oil to crush U.S. shale producers. Will this have a proportional impact on the price of oil? Uh, that's a quite an interesting uh, new movie. I guess we're gonna we're gonna see pretty soon. Well, it'd be interesting to see how that dynamic kind of plays out with um, uh, you know the old Russian sanctions and because you know, the prices of oil that's been a major piece of you know, trying to uh, destabilize the Russian economy. And, you know, so it seems to me that, you know, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, you know, have had some, like, backroom to, you know, keep the, the price low. So it'll be interesting to see if, if uh, how that does impact. And Yeah, and, and Kerry was just visiting Putin, and they were supposed to be talking about Syria and ISIL and all this kind of stuff. And then... Bam! All of a sudden, you get it's like, hmm, wonder what they were talking about, and was the U.S. not happy with the results of that, or mm. or what? Yeah, I'm just waiting for the next zero dark thirty. It'll be zero dark ISIS jihadi. <laughs> well, so quite often, um, you know, when we talk about these things with folks and you know for instance when i was hearing you read that article william i was thinking anything in there about uh the fact that uh, the u.s created isil or the fact that when they do uh, attack isil in syria uh they quite often kill hundreds of innocent syrians and so um you know it's it's little it's these little kind of disturbing uh bits of the bigger picture that uh that kind of redefine what the intent of the u.s is uh if you're if you're actually thinking about what it is they they're doing and um i think that kind of brings us to our next um topic. well they did need a, a proud moment to american people because they've been failing so much like they had a raid like two years ago where they were trying to save some American prisoners there in Syria, but that of course failed. So, and after this Osama bin Laden thing, they had to come up with something to have the people to be proud of and rah, rah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and just reminding people that, that they are fighting ISIL mm -hmm. at all. Uh, you know, oh, remember this war on terror? Uh, you know, let's, let's 
bring your attention to this right now. Um, but like when you, you know, if you've ever tried to convey uh, just how big the lies are around this and many other topics, um, you you quite often get a resistance in, in people and, and a kind of a, a reaction or a, a backlash. Um, you're negative. You know, you're only seeing things uh, in a conspiratorial uh, point of view. Doom and gloomer. Doom and gloomer. Um, you know, and this is so fear based. This is so fear based. Oh, that's a good one too. Um, and, uh, Michael Snyder talked a little bit about this, uh, at the end of last week's show. Um, and really it's, you know, it's not that at all. Although I'm sure most of our, uh, listeners who are familiar with what we do and look at and how we look at it, uh, would agree. Uh, but for those who, who, maybe listening for the first time. Um, it's really just trying to see our objective level that we have a better a chance or ability to respond to it appropriately. Um, and uh, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell, but there's quite a bit more to it, I think. Yeah, I think it's a, a key point because, um, you know, naturally, I think... Uh, you know, maybe not naturally, but, you know, there does seem to be a part of either our subconscious or, you know, just part of, you know, being being that, you know, we, we try to avoid, you know, the negative things in life. But when it comes to, you know, avoiding, you know, uh, the, the negative things that are happening to us, you know, uh, objective reality, you know, uh, then, you know, really you're, you're not looking at what's, you know, causing you the pain, you know? Uh, so, and when you're not doing that, there's, there's, um, you can't also have the, the insight or thought processes to, you know, see, you know, how can you get out of that mess and, you know, how can, how can you, um, you know, stop the pain? Um, cause you know, it, it is happening, uh, you know, whether we choose to see it or not and, you know, just blocking it out just compounds it. And, you know, I think one of the things that kind of makes it worse is that, you know, we're not really taught uh, how to, you know, express, um, you know, the emotions of, you know, the things that we're seeing. So, you know, we 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 push it down and, um, you know, take this drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take some, you know, take this drug if you're feeling depressed or whatever. And, um, you know, there's there's a. There's no, um, there's, you know, very little in our, you know, family structure that, you know, teaches us to, to, you know, really express these things in a healthy way. And, uh, you know, so that, so that could be, you know, part of the issue, um, why, why we don't want to look at, you know, these negative things. Um, but really, you know, the, we need both a way to express and also understand, um, you know, the things that are going around us. And, you know, as we kind of been talking about throughout the show and, and other shows, you know, knowledge of uh, psychopathy and, and pathology and, you know, and how it infects our thinking, um, you know, is really key in, you know, uh, understanding, you know, these world events and, you know, putting it into a framework where we can, you know, begin to kind of tackle the problem. Um if not 
just in, you know, our own immediate lives. Um, because, you know, it, it does filter down and um, it, it does, you know, affect us and, you know, right down to our personal relationships. Um, so, and, I, you know, I, I think there is also a piece too, an important piece where, you know, the, the things that we're seeing, even if it seems that, you know, it's not affecting us directly, it is affecting other people and you know that that deserves to be witnessed that deserves to be seen you know um people's pain you know it, it's 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 really uh it's really awful to really just turn that off and you know turn away from you know from those things and uh so you know i think that just that piece too is 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 important it's it's you know it's part of like you know being a human being and being part of this whole world, right? <clears throat> have to pay attention to what's going on everywhere in order to learn how to how do you make the world better? Well, first you got to understand what the problems are and, and how to address those. I want to bring up an analogy. It's like a it's like a, an abusive relationship. So let's say you've got I was going to say the same thing. It's got you've got a woman and you've got just a real jerk of a of a partner who's you know physically and emotionally abusive. Who's just a jerk all around, and her friends can see it, her family can see it, and let's just say that one day she sees it, and she starts talking to her friends and being and being like, "Oh, you know, he, you know, he he hits me and and he yells at me and he manipulates me and blah blah blah, you know, et cetera, et cetera." But he really loves me. No, but we won't go there yet. So yeah, that might be what she thought at first, but now she's kind of seeing the 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 man behind the curtain and she's seeing that she has been in this horribly abusive relationship and then her friends say to her, oh you're just so fear-based it's like you're such a doom and gloomer you why know, are you being so negative why are you being so <laughs> negative uh you know saying that he's conspiring against you and and you know he's controlling your what you do and who your friends are it's just it must be so draining to be to to be to be to be, to be, to be focused, just focus on the positive i mean he, he's your boyfriend right <laughs> um so in, in, when you put it in a situation like that of it's it's just absurd the person's not being negative or you know doom and gloomer or fear based it's just objective she's seeing what's on, she's seeing the actual motivations and behaviors of the person she's been involved with. And hopefully then, after knowing that, taking steps to safely get away from it. It's the same dynamic with like what we do, looking at the abusive boyfriends or abusive fathers or mothers that are in positions of power and influence in the world, whether it's in government or or corporations or, you know, any kind of big industry like that or organization. First of all, you see what's actually going on. You see that these people are psychopaths, that they don't have our best, best interests at heart, that the things they do don't match up with what they say they do. So we try to figure out what they're actually doing, what's behind the words that they're saying. And once you know that, then you can get out of the relationship, or at least you can make steps to. Because it can be hard to get out of a, an abusive relationship. You might get killed. That's really, it, it's a serious situation. And what's, you know, what's better? 
to to stay in that with those rose tinted glasses and to to continue living in a life where you're basically being tortured every day emotionally or physically or to actually see that you're being tortured every day to acknowledge that and then hopefully use that knowledge to get into a better situation it's common sense yeah this this analogy i think is um so apt because you know in in abusive relationships there are so many characteristics where you know denial plays a part and you know that's kind of what we see and are faced with you know on, on a large scale um that um you know the, those that that abuse it, it actually you know it creates these um these bonds with people and you know we're we're kind of trained um to you know uh, love our abusers you know it's that uh, mm-hmm. stockholm syndrome you know type thing and you know that really does ember on on the brain and just overcoming um you know that uh that denial you know it is it is a a uh, 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 a tough thing to you know kind of work through, and you know I think uh, anybody who's you know really gotten into you know um, sought and you know seeing seeing reality as it is has has gone through it, and it is depressing, uh, and it is um, you know it's horrible, and you know all those things. Um, but, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, being able to talk about it and, uh, occasionally make fun of it, you know, that, that's what can help build that immune system, uh, to, um, to, you know, protect yourself from, you know, these things that are going on. Um, Yep. I think that's, I think that sums it up pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can call it emergency room humor. Um, any way to any way to kind of, while still looking at it and mitigate or ameliorate, it's uh, it's getting to you uh, to the point where you're dysfunctional and uh, you know feeling a, a bit depressed about things that are justifiably depressing doesn't mean that you have to be uh, dysfunctional. Um, you know, you could still, uh, you could still appreciate or take time to appreciate things that, um, that make life worth living. Um, which is the whole, that's the whole point, right? I mean, to, you know, you, you get caught up in, you know, the, uh, um, these, these mind loops and stuff. And, um, but the point of seeing this stuff isn't, you know, to get completely enmeshed and, and you know the world is, but it it is to you know reach a point where you can deal with these things and um, and actually live you know life and um, so it's it's that it's that it's getting to that point where um, you know we can kind of learn from pathology what it means to be healthy and human. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really you know it's protective. Um, you know, you, uh, yeah, things can still be shocking. It, it's still, you know, very shocking sometimes to read things on site, even if you've read some version of it, uh, you know, a dozen times before. It might hit you in a new way or it might be presented in a different context. And, 
but in a way it's a it's a very kind of useful reminder of of you know what what this world is and um but it's not everything and you know simultaneously like you were saying Shane we can you know also kind of um learn to appreciate those things in contrast that are healthy and build on those things so you know i appreciate if some of this sounds a little abstract or uh but um i think when you when you kind of pr- practice this a little bit it you it's it it has a more tangible um reality there's a a dynamic that mm-hmm. exists there um and uh, you interact with it and um you know that's what kind of uh michael was saying last week at the end of his at the end of the show um you know when he was speaking about keeping his eyes open and and seeing things as they were and or are and uh and being able to respond appropriately and kind of you know being a light to people with his own ability to see things and respond and how wonderful a thing that is i think the process is kind of like having a a fever where you get sick and it can be painful and uncomfortable for a short period uh, and, and by this I'm talking about this process of identifying an illusion basically seeing that you were wrong about something you were seeing something without any objectivity and when you actually see the truth about it and how depressing it is and how, how horrible it is that is a painful experience to not only to see that you're wrong but to see a bad thing and just to, to acknowledge it it's a painful experience but it's like a fever in the sense that your body with a fever, your body fights the, you know, the, the fever is your body's response to, to get well. And afterwards, hopefully you get healthy. <laughs> doesn't always happen. Sometimes you die, but, um, but when you, when you pass through it, you've got, now you've got a new foundation to build from. So now you know something you didn't know before. Whereas before you might've been doing a total lie in regard to a certain something, now you've exposed that lie, and with that knowledge, you can live a different way with a different set of principles. So, in a way, it's kind of like we live in this environment, we live in this, this society where the, the mainstream ideas can be totally wrong and just total lies. So when that's exposed, it can be, it can be painful to to realize that you've been believing these total lies and that the truth was actually completely different. Once you do, you don't, you don't, you no longer have to live in the, the, the limiting way that was the only option available beforehand. Cause now there are new opportunities. Now, now, um, the, the field's wide open for, for new ways of, of living and going about your life. And, just to bring that back with, to a, a real example, it's it's like that abusive relationship where when you get out of that relationship, it is a better environment than when you were in it, and um, and so that applies just on so many different levels. Um, and I think you know, I think the idea of just being as proactive, like you know, just take for instance exercise. Uh, exercise is uh, it's annoying, you know. It's uh, it, it, it's something, uh, even if you, you know, experience um, the, the positive chemicals that come with it. Um, but 
you know, there's, there's a little pain involved, a little discipline, uh, but you're being proactive. You're, you're working towards having uh, a healthier condition, um, a more functional uh, condition. Um, and, you know, there's a kind of commitment there towards that, um, that, you know, it's, it's paying a little bit now. Um, it's, it's being proactive. It's, it's putting effort and focus into something now in order to, uh, be better prepared to face something that is going to be much more difficult to deal with later. Um, and maybe even in a fatal way. Uh, so, um, what's the overarching message of all of this? I think, uh, that, that it's that a little bit of suffering for lack of a better word, or a little bit of pain or fever or, um, experiencing of negative emotions and handled constructively is, uh, in the long run, um, uh, a healthier approach to having a long run mm-hmm. uh, in a in a good way, and to actually le- living uh, and leading a fulfilling life, as opposed to just being a cog in the machine. And I think um, you know, as a part of that, you know that that so you know we're going through these different processes, this these uh, deconstructive things. But at the same time, you know, we also want to build on that constructive aspect, too. So, you know, we might feel that, you know, our lives are in chaos uh, because, you know, all our illusions are being shattered. But at the same time, you know, you also want to be, you know, building, uh, you know, your knowledge base of, you know, your own your own machine. Um, And I think that's, you know, kind of uh, a unique thing that, you know, we try to bring to SOT is, you know, understanding, you know, what our, our uh, biases are and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, how, our, how our subconscious works. And, um, you know, it, it's those pieces uh, that, you know, can help um, help us process, you know, the things that, that we're kind of struggling with. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of... It, I don't. I don't know how um, how it is to you know be faced with this information and you know not have those tools, um, you know, because there are you know plenty of, uh, even alternative sources of news, you know, who just do focus on you know these uh, these issues and they use it you know just you know for fear mongering. There's no there's no, uh, uh, solution, you know, uh, there's, there's no processing of that. It's just, it's just fear. So, you know, we do need, uh, you know, additional tools, uh, to be able to, you know, work through these things and, um, um, hey guys, uh, can stay abreast on the, the, the saw page and, you know, and we'll try to, you know, on that subject of tools, if we don't make use of tools, we become tools. It's just, it just seems to be the law about things. We, you know, we fall into default, um, modes of being, uh, you know, uh, grabbing the candy bar, um, dissociating for extended periods of time. Um, and we come, we become subject to, 
to all the types of things that we talk about here um, without even realizing it. So, um, yeah, so we want to, we want to make use of tools, uh, all the tools available to become aware of stuff as, as they are. And that, yeah, go yeah, on, finish no, your thought. That That's basically that's it. it. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say on that thought, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. I have one announcement in the next couple weeks. Uh, Red Pill Press will be publishing a new book. I'm very excited about that. It is the first, um, first in a series of publications, hopefully, of the works of psychologist and psychiatrist Kazimir Dabrowski. Um, he's actually mentioned in Ponderology. So if you've read Ponderology, he's also, uh, Dabrowski is also a Polish psychologist. So this is the first book we're putting out by him, first published in 1967. It's called Personality Shaping Through Positive Disintegration. And it's actually pretty relevant to what we've just been talking about for the past or so about the proce- the process of personality disintegration and the the kind of episodes or moments in our lives where where things kind of fall apart and how to build how to build up and out uh, and through those experiences to become different and better people and of course part of that is expanding our knowledge base of ourselves and the world around us and learning and choosing new ways of being and living and to actually be a a positive force in the world as opposed to either just part of the problem or, um, you know, just cowering in, in fear and paranoia. So be on the lookout for that. We'll make another announcement uh, when it comes out and maybe even discuss the book a bit. So I recommend it. It's a great book. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, on that note, I think that's all for today. And we will sign off and see you next week. So tune in tomorrow for Behind the Headlines and Monday for the Health and Wellness Show. And we'll see you next week. So everyone take care. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Good luck, everyone. 